This episode is brought to you by Keyboard Castle, where you can find the widest selection of pianos, clavinova, keyboards, hybrids, and synthesizers. Visit Keyboard Castle to see their showroom in person or browse online at keyboardcastle.com. That's spelled with all K's instead of C's, keyboardcastle.com. You can also sign up for lessons. If you're anything like me, you have always wanted to play like a concert pianist, but sitting in front of the keys seems confusing. If you sign up for lessons at Keyboard Castle, Luke will design a tailor-made program for you to learn at your own pace and how it's most effective for you. So don't wait. Go get yourself a piano, maybe a clavinova or a keyboard, whatever suits you, and start learning today. I'll have more details in the show notes. And thank you, Keyboard Castle, for sponsoring this episode. Have you ever wondered what would happen if your house was ripped straight off its foundation in a giant tornado? Well, I can tell you, you certainly wouldn't go to the land of Oz. But if you had the best insurance policy correctly designed for your needs, you would weather the storm. And let's just not think about if anybody was in the house, like cats or dogs or your... (sighs) (laughs) mother-in-law. Call Tony Schmitz today of the Schmitz Insurance Agency. Make sure that you have the correct coverage for your house. With all the inflation that's been going on lately, it might be time to check and see if you're insured to the value of your house because nothing would be worse than finding out not only did you not get to the land of Oz, but you can't rebuild the house that you were living in because it was underinsured. Again, call Tony Schmitz today. And thank you, Tony, for sponsoring this episode of The Reluctant Book Marketer. I'll have details for his agency and all of the coverages you can get with the Schmitz Insurance Agency in the show notes. My guest on today's show is Lee Hall. He was one of the first people that I ran into on Twitter and thought, I need to do Twitter like that. His following is ginormous, and his approach on a daily basis is dialed in to the literary community. So it was no surprise for me to learn that he's had a fairly thriving business as a self-published author and is actively considering the jump into full-time authorhood. So if you're in a similar spot in your career where you've had some success selling books, you're going to enjoy this from Lee Hall. And if you are far from the point where you're thinking about going full-time, we'll sit back, listen to this journey, listen to how we both explore what the steps are to build a brand, to build a platform. Without further ado, please enjoy Lee Hall. I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and I've got just one question for you. Do you see your novel as a million-dollar asset? Because if you don't, and you want to, you're in the right place. This is the only show for novelists who want to shift their mindset away from fear and toward abundance. Because you can sell more books than you ever dreamed when you believe in what you're doing. Are kind of 
pausing a little bit and and jumping and everything. So if I get any kind of audio lag, I'll suggest that we go video list because that'll typically fix it. And then if it doesn't, yeah. we can try to troubleshoot as well. Um, what I was saying though is that in in terms of of you, you were one of the originals on Twitter where I was like, hey, he's got the kind of profile that I want to have. You've got I I think at the time you were in the low thirties, um, and you know had maybe. 15,000 people you were following. So your ratios were great. All the stuff they talk about to just like have a standout profile. Um, and you have really good engagement compared to a lot of people who have a similar number of followers. So in terms of being in kind of the, the genre that I want to be, and you have interest in the arts and in writing and music. Um, and I just thought, man, like that's a, a, a profile I want to aim to emulate in a lot of ways. So uh, I guess with all of that said, did you mean to do it? Was it intentional on your part or is it something that you just realized you liked Twitter and it grew organically over time? Well, I mean, first of all, thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you for the um, compliments. It's wonderful to hear that it's, it's reaching people. Um, I kind of spent a long time in what I would call as Twitter purgatory. Um, I joined the platform in 2013 it's about the same time I decided to go public as just to say to everybody, family and friends, and I want to be an author. So I read somewhere, you know, you need a platform. So I got on Twitter and for a long time, kind of didn't really know what I was doing in a sense. And then it kind of just started to take off a few years back now in 2020, I suppose, when I was given a lot more time due to the pandemic and stuff. And yeah, I just dove in and yeah just figured it out by spending more time doing it. Basically, that is the one thing I can probably recommend anyone do. If you want to figure something out, you've got to spend time figuring it out. It's like writing a book. It takes time to find, doesn't it, sometimes? And mm-hmm. you know, I just dove in and developed a kind of a process. It's a completely like different process every day sort of thing. It moves constantly. Mm. So I just... It's like a trial and error thing. I'll think of something that works and roll with it until it stops working. And by then I found something new and it just keeps sort of snowballing. And I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. It's incredible. The amount of people that follow me, it's like, I mean, that's, that's more than 37,000 followers is more than some arenas of, right, you know, of yeah. worth of people. It's, it's amazing how you can kind of build momentum on the platform. Um, I would say that I'm probably partially addicted to it, um, <laughs> not, not in a destructive sense. I would, it doesn't tend to affect my personal life outside of in the real world. I suppose you call it the real world, but I mean, this is the real world as well, isn't it? But yeah. it well, doesn't eat away anything. I, ju- I just have a lot of time to do it. I mm-hmm. always have done and I make time for it. And by trial and error via, and quantity of just tweeting so many times, you kind of, yeah, develop what people like and respond to and just roll with it. And over time, it's just built an amazing amount of followers who respond to it. It's, yeah, it's been quite a journey, really, a, quite a journey. I mean, yeah. I'm still still going, still alive, still want to do it. It's just, yeah, it's, it can be difficult sometimes, but it's been an incredible journey. It has. 
You know, I look at my Twitter profile as being kind of like, and this is the analogy I picked up somewhere along the way of it's kind of like a bar. I, I, I set up a pub or a bar and people come in and they have conversation via the, the questions that I ask. And it's like, they can come in, they can come out. I'm serving questions and they're taking the drink by answering it and having community with each other, having conversation. In the yeah. beginning, I really had to be present. And I've noticed lately that if I if I just make the questions available, I almost don't have to be there anymore. Now, I want to be there because I want to be part of the conversation. But it is interesting that you put in so much time. I wasn't shy in the beginning about saying I'm doing six, eight, even 10 hour days on Twitter to get this thing going um, because it was so powerful and it was a little addictive. And it was something it was like, wow, I can see the impact of what I'm doing. And so it just blew up for me, uh, similar to kind of what you're talking about is putting that time in there. Now I find that there's a a bit of a better balance. I still spend a lot of time on Twitter, probably compared to the average person, but it's so rewarding. It's hard not to go there. Um, With that in mind, one of my questions for you is, are you noticing that you're able to sell more books because of Twitter? Is there there a a way that you see a correlation, a direct cause? Um, What's the relationship between your publishing and your Twitter as far as you know? Yeah, um, definitely. Um, the more it, seem, it seems to be the more followers I get, the more chance I have of selling books. I, th- I think personally, you need like a boatload of followers to sell even a moderate amount of books. Yes. You know, when I hit 10,000 followers, that was back in May of 21. So I just released my guidebook then, and I got like probably about 30 or so pre orders. So okay. if you kind of, so it's like every 10,000 followers you have is 30 sales, say on release. So you look at the numbers, you're going to need a few million for it to be really, really good, I suppose. And it, I suppose it depends what you define as really good anyway, but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely over the years and over my growth, I've gone from probably selling a book every 10 days. That was when I had probably between five and 10,000 followers um, to like every other day now. It's all every day now. It's one or two. We're not talking huge numbers a day. It's but it's like sure, really, still- it's like people look at some of my statistics that I share, and I'm I'm really like sort of open to sharing statistics mm-hmm. about sales and stuff. And people say, "Oh, that's they're like dream numbers to me." And it's mm. just a few a week is great, and that's good for me as well. It's like it shows that obviously my tweets are going somewhere. Yeah. The infrastructure I set is kind of, it works as well. Cause I've obviously got my books linked to my Twitter profile or I'm mm-hmm. tweeting about them and people are finding them and the, through finding me basically. And I don't push hard on selling them really. I don't constantly tweet about them. Um, it's sometimes, you know, it's like fight club. You don't really talk about it and you can end up selling them. And that's, yeah, they, it's kind of driven through my presence really. Um, if that, that might sound strange, but it's, yeah, it's, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it sounds strange at all. I mean, I, I would, and I do want to spend a little bit of time there because I'm interested in the mindset, which I, I think I partly agree with you that if I do a good enough job being uh, a, an authority in a topic, like right now, the book that I am pre-selling is the seven figure marketing mindset for novelists. If I'm a good enough authority, then when people see I have a book available, they're like, wow, whatever he has in that book, I've got to read it. And so it should sell by my authority on Twitter if I'm doing my job right. But I think at the same time, 
I don't tell me that you've noticed this as well. If you send out a tweet and it's a good tweet, you're going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 500 retweets on it, right? Yeah. So that means that a really good tweet engaged less than a percent of your followers. And so at that point, you're kind of like, well, if I tweeted out a link to my book and 1% of those people saw it, 1% make a buying decision because I'm only just putting it out there for them to know that it's available, then I'm really activating a hundredth percent of my audience with the opportunity to make a buying decision on my book. And that's that's where I, I think for me, I've started to be more assertive about asking people, are you interested in buying my book? You know, having a one-on-one relationship with people. Uh, have you done any of that? Having kind of built a, a one-on-one relationship with your readers or your Twitter community? Yeah. To an extent. I mean, I've always defined being indie or self-published, which I am, is yep. basically, selling your book one person at a time. Yeah, and I love that. You can look at all the things you can do to have individual interactions with people on social media or just online in, in general. And the, the day-to-day stuff might just be me and that person. But then over yep. so many days, months, and years, it ends up totaling to numbers of interactions with people. And... Yeah. You know, I've the last few years, um, probably since 2019, I've um, taken a vow to just review indie and self-published books, and like I, I review about 40 a year. Wow, um, that's the average number. And, 40, four zero, 40. Yeah, four zero, and you know, one I put out a review, and it's kind of a drop in the ocean. A few people will like the review. Mm-hmm. Of course, the author will appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And then I move on to the next one, the next one. And it doesn't really turn any heads until you say you've done 40 in, yeah. in December. And it's like all of a sudden everyone then looks at you for that. And it's, yeah, it's individual it, like interaction over quantity over so much time can just yeah. get individual readers. And a lot of these authors who I have reviewed, some of them feel compelled to then return the favor, which I don't expect, by the way, I'm, you know, I'm just reviewing books because I, for the hell of it, I love books. I love reading. I, love, I think supporting the industry is important to me because it yes. will eventually kind of support me too. Yes. And that's kind of where this comes from. And yeah, that's, oh, there's so many channels for getting readers. And yeah, mm-hmm. of course, writers are readers too. And a majority of my following is the writing community. Yeah, and they all, all, most of them do. They, so it's, there's opportunity basically always there. You know, there's something really cool about having that community be the the really big part of what you're doing is other writers are admiring and respecting the process that you have created. And your books speak to writers a lot. So your target audience is actually following you and engaging with you. I'm not saying all of your books are, are you know, craft type books, but you've written craft books for writers, books that talk about the process. And so you have your, your ideal audience right now interacting with you. Um, how has that played out for you when you are trying to get readers for non-craft books do you Um, see less uh, like enthusiasm is it harder to sell or do you see it about the same yeah the thing is i've kind of typecast myself a little bit just as being someone who writes guides Mm -hmm. writes stuff 
to help authors and you know the creatives basically online i've kind of that's like kind of my my act at the moment is doing that yeah. i kind of just kind of fell into that really and so it yep. makes my fiction stuff sometimes hard to sell yeah um but then i've always found ways of reaching probably non-social media followers to read my books through book promotion websites and advertising through those channels basically i i go out and probably every quarter i'll run a free book promo and attach as many other of my books in discount to that fiction wise just to find them to find readers mm-hmm. um th- there is a little bit of contradiction in that i suppose because i've always believed that you should be findable whereas for some of my fiction stuff i go out and try and find readers yeah. which is sometimes works sometimes doesn't you know if you run a free promo free is like the most effective way to find readers but every single person's going to download it and not everybody's going to enjoy it basically yeah yeah it's uh, the the free game is one i find myself growing a little bit weary of right now because i feel like it sets up a couple of of expectations one is i I, and I really believe this. And if you're listening right now and you are one of these people, I'm, I'm calling you out and saying shame on you. But if your only reading material is free books, get a life. You know, you have a library that can help authors, but don't just like, you know, crawl around BookBub hoping for free books that you can download uh, and Amazon looking for the freebies. And all of the authors who are playing to that and the only way you can find your self-esteem is by, by giving away books for free. It's time to stop. It's time to bump the yeah. price up. And I'm not, I'm not talking to you right now, Lee, because I think, I think you feel the same. I know you well enough from looking at your content and what you're doing on Twitter that we're at least mostly in agreement about this is have, have some uh, faith in yourself, have some self-respect, believe in yourself, sell the book for what it's worth. It, there's a time and a place to give away books for free. Um, if you want to get people hooked into a series, it can be a great tool to get people hooked into a series. If you, if you think of yourself as a drug dealer, you know, and you're peddling your, your craft books that you want people to read and get into, give one away for free. So they kind of get an idea of what you're doing. But if that's, if that's your sole tool, then the only people you're speaking to are the people who want freebies and handouts and there's yeah, no living or enjoyment there. You're limiting yourself then, aren't you, to yeah. that demographic and i mean i've never really kind of thought about it until it started happening but yeah you you perceive stuff as valuable when you kind of want to make money out of something not to the point where it's like you know we're earning thousands here but it's like you perceive yourself has to have some sort of value and your work does have value i mean we both put in the time and the hours you know I, i was listening to um one of your previous episodes actually about um it came out a few weeks ago about You'll never really be paid for every hour of writing you do, not even probably in a minimum wage. And right, stuff. I'm guessing and that's the Stephen James episode, yeah? I really enjoyed it. It was, yeah, yeah it was interesting, um, interesting stuff because, I mean, you're rubbing elbows there with some real top-tier writers who have been paid yeah. professionally. I've never really been paid professionally for this at all. I've, all of this is all, I've kind of just turned up to the, the starting line in my own car and just joined the race, you know, and yeah. it's... Yeah, back to back to that subject of giving stuff away for free. It's how you perceive as value. And, you know, funnily enough, when I, I, I would put a book out for 99 cents mm-hmm. or a few of them and they would not sell. But then yep. for 2.99, they would they sell. Start to because move. It's, it's, like, it's, all, it's all a psychological thing, isn't it? Sometimes mm-hmm. people look at stuff 
actually the best way to sell a really valuable watch is to put an even more valuable watch next to it. You know, that's right. so yeah. Exactly yeah. On this. I am, I'm getting ready right now to launch Kickstarter. So I, the, the Kickstarter's built, it's just waiting for final approval, but I've actually got that built into my Kickstarter is that my top tier offer is a $1,500 offer. And I've got the goods in there. If somebody actually wants to take me up on it, it's got everything built into it that you can spend. But really the real reason the $1,500 offer there is, is to make the $300 offer look enticing. You know, it's yeah. that, that specific yeah. person that's really going to benefit from doing the $300 offer on Kickstarter. And I know I can win them because I can be like, here are your options. You can buy an ebook and I'll throw in my audiobook for free. That's a pretty cool deal. And you'll only spend $10 to get the, the ebook and the audiobook combined. But you know, those are digital assets. You want to like dive in and actually have something physical from me, then we start more expensive. And if you want to make a huge impact on your writing life, go for this $300 offer, which doesn't seem so bad compared to $1,500. So you're yeah, right. There's psychology yeah, in it. Definitely. Yeah, that's interesting as well, uh, digital stuff. I mean, I sold and I still sell predominantly digital mm-hmm. books. And then for my guidebook, I was like, well, if I'm just going to sell digital, I'm just going to launch this in digital and just see what happens. So I launched it in digital and then everybody started asking for the paperback. So yeah. I then around about the Christmas time last year, I launched it and it was really successful and everyone bought it and it was, nice. yeah, it kind of, it worked. I made an occasion of it and it was the first time I've started this year, particularly it's the first year I've started shifting paperbacks in more numbers. It's still, mm-hmm. it was probably, it's one or two paperbacks a month. But compared to none at all, last few years, it's we're, we're moving yeah. the needle slowly. It, I mean, it takes a huge amount of social media numbers and presence and stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you know, do it yourself. It's, it takes a lot of effort to get there. But it's, it's a grind, but it's a rewarding grind if your numbers are hopefully improving most of the time. Yeah. So um, talk to me a little bit. Usually I'm a lot more mindset oriented, but I'm really interested just in kind of the way that you've built out your world. Um, Because I think that there's a lot of value for somebody who sees you and says, okay, you have almost 40,000 followers now on Twitter. That must equate to, uh, you know, four or five, 10 times as much activity as they have. Um, and, and like you said earlier in this conversation, Twitter isn't necessarily a one-for-one one correlation. You can have 10,000 followers and have a really robust conversation, or you can have a million and get like one or two retweets on everything you put out there. Uh, but talk to me about how you're using Twitter to move people into different avenues for you. Do you have like a, an active author page on Goodreads? Uh, do you have a more interactive page on Amazon? What kind of other resources do you have to make yourself a little bit more sticky for your audience? So basically Twitter is the engine room. Um, that's where I share everything. Um, yeah. I, I blog regularly. Um, I have a Patreon that I started last year. Then I kind of stopped for a little while and mm-hmm. then relaunched it this year. Um, I'm reviewing books basically tweeting a lot. I spend some time on Instagram and Facebook, not a lot of time, but I'm pretty much always doing something. Um, I I would get up in the morning and look at what basically needs attention out of all of the platforms I'm present on. So I'm obviously Twitter, um, my blog, Patreon, um, and then obviously Goodreads for my book reviews and then I put them on Amazon as well and anywhere else I share them. Uh, I just look at what needs attention, what is kind of lacking in activity. So if I've got a lot of good impressions on Twitter, I'll probably pull back from there and maybe put a blog post out. 
and then maybe go back to Twitter and share it on there and then go to Patreon. If it's been a week or so since I've put something out, I put something up on there. And it's the way I've structured it, it's like a really complex puzzle, but it all works how I look at it. Someone else might not look at it and think, oh, this, this is really, you're always busy all the time. I, I kind of am and I'm not. And I'm just always doing something, basically. I'm always reading, I'm writing, um, blogging, tweeting. It doesn't stop. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm enjoying it. I enjoy the challenge. I, I enjoy being busy. I think I kind of, I think I function as a busy person. You know, mm-hmm. if I didn't have a lot to do, I would kind of be lost. And that's yeah. basically where it comes from. And Twitter kind of took off because I spent more time doing it. And I, I basically get most of my external traffic from Twitter yeah. now. got such big numbers, like I share a blog post. Uh, I mean, my blog as well, my WordPress blog, it's got over a thousand followers now. That mm. took the best part of a decade to build. But then when it started gaining momentum, it grew quickly. Yeah. Um, this has basically taken 10 years to get to where I am. None of this has been quick. Right. Um, yeah. Very little of it is. I think, I think sometimes you catch something like you, you talked about the, you know, growth you had from the start of the pandemic with your Twitter being a lot more robust. Um, I'm curious, have you heard of Substack before? Um, I have heard of it, but I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. So it's uh, it's like a brand new all-in-one everything feature. It's really cool. I'm sorry if you can hear the background noise. My cat has decided to play with a piece of paper, but um, it just happens in life. So uh, Substack is a place where you can blog. It is an email list where people who can sign up to your blog posts and then you capture their email address. It's a social media and that other people on there can recommend you to other people on the platform. It links up with Twitter. So today, if you ported all of your blog from WordPress over to Substack. Uh, it would ask you, do you want to connect it to Twitter? If you said yes, every single follower you have on Twitter would get an email from you letting from yeah, from you letting them know that you have this thing that they can sign up for. Um, and so you get this fairly large dump of email addresses from people who are like, oh, I had no idea. And they sign up for your blog. So I, I moved mine over and doubled in a day just a bunch of people signed on to be part of it and you get to keep those email addresses no matter what happens. So it's a really cool thing that functions like everything. It also has podcasts on it. I'm probably going to kill the cat. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I would recommend it as, as something that really knits things together. It's kind of like a spider web. It, It brings all of your disparate worlds together. You can link Goodreads to it and Goodreads can be linked to it. And suddenly everybody clicks one place and there are links from that place to another place inside of your universe. That sounds pretty um, lucrative. I'm going to, yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, Yeah, it would be quite good to have everything in one place. Um, But then I think platforms like that are quite important as well because there Mm -hmm. might not be necessarily be Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, but uh, those platforms are kind of subject to trends and all it takes one major scandal and then everybody walks away from them. And I've got 40 or thousand Twitter followers and everyone's now walked away. And it's like, oh, great. 
<laughs> I, I am actually really curious to hear your thoughts. I don't, I don't talk about like politics or anything on here, and I want to continue to keep it that way. But in terms of Elon Musk, it sounds like today he's actually kind of putting the finishing touches on the whole Twitter thing. Is that a source of concern for you? Do you feel like your audience is is going to be shaken? Are you worried about like the you know the great revealing of bots or anything crazy like that? Or what what what's your been your thought process on this? I'm not really sure yet. Um, Me either. Obviously, Elon Musk has done some things in the media. He sent William Shatner to space. Did he send William Shatner to space, or was that that was Amazon, wasn't it? That was I think that might have been Amazon. Yeah. But either way, William Shatner finally got to go to space, yeah, and that's pretty that's cool. cool. Um, <laughs> he's done some things. He's got the, the, the cars, isn't he, the electric cars and stuff. Yep. And I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, he did make the point of wanting to know how many accounts on Twitter were fake or something, which was an interesting thing to draw to. That's and a very valid thing to draw to. You know, when if you want to invest in something, you want to know how much genuine like material there is in there, which is very valid of him. Um, whether or not there will be any drastic change, I'm not particularly sure. It might be the odd fad thing he changes. Um, a lot of these corporations, they change hands, but you never really realize, do you? Um, because they don't change the way they do things. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not particularly worried either. I'm not concerned. Um, I think it would probably be okay. Um, yeah. I, the, and I don't know if you had this at all or not, but a couple of weeks ago, maybe even as much as a month ago, the first time I, I have had linear growth. Like my pot, my, my Twitter has grown. My podcast as well. It's been nice. My, my Twitter has grown just in a straight line up. I, I literally have never lost followers on a day up until about a month ago. And then there was a month ago where I dumped almost a hundred followers in a single day. And I was like, what in the world? So I'm looking back over my tweets that I enrage anybody. And I didn't realize it. There's nothing there. There's no like huge reaction to what's going on. I'm like, why in the world? So I go back and I use social dog, social dog. You're awesome. There will be a link to it in the show notes folks, because I have an affiliate relationship with them, but I really like social dog and I'm able to see who unfollows me. And there was this really remarkable correlation between my unfollowers and the number of followers that they had and how long they had been around and how many tweets. And those accounts are like one follower, two followers, three followers, following a hundred, but maybe only one or two followers and maybe two tweets. So I know immediately that's a bot that was created to just kind of go around creating following ratios. I don't even understand why they exist, but a huge number of them were bots. Um, and then it happened to me again about two weeks ago, and I dumped 300 followers on a single day. And that's not a small amount. So you look at that and you're like, I must be doing something really wrong. And yeah, same um, thing, that, bots. Did you have that at all? Yes, exactly the same thing. Um, minus 200 and something. It, it was week after last, I think. Yep. It was on a Friday or Thursday. It just, yes. I woke up and because I'm, I'm constantly checking the following time. Yeah, I'm I not, care about I'm it. Like, I'd say I'm obsessed with it, but I'm not at the same time. And it, it didn't go up as expected because normally overnight yep. for me, but I'm in the UK, different time zone. So yep. I'm going to sleep. And then a lot of America are, are on are online when I'm asleep. And yeah. I have a huge, like basically 80% of my following is from over, over the pond in the US and Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of expect my following to always shoot up overnight and it didn't. And I went and I realized it was minus compared to what it was it had gone down over which is very rare for me i get yeah. something like like 50 or so followers a, probably a day on average yeah, me too that's a that's a on a on a good sort of scale 
Um, it's a very strange, um, there's very, something strange going on with Twitter. I think the, the, the underbelly of it all is yeah. kind of hard to fathom, really. I don't know how they run it. I figured out a few things like sharing links in a tweet kind yep. of is a no, no, you we'll put them in the reply instead, or you tell them your link is somewhere else. That kind of helps a few other weird and wonderful tricks you can try. But other than that, yeah, I don't know how they operate. It's a very, I would love a tour one day of Twitter HQ just to see how they operate. But I yeah, know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. And so that's, that's something that I'm at least, I'm intrigued to see if I would do better or worse uh, based on what, what Elon claimed he wanted to do with Twitter, which is an open source algorithm. So you understand how the algorithm works and you can play by the rules of the algorithm. That means I had to learn how to read it, I guess. And that could be challenging, but it'd be cool to know, like, what, what are the things? Cause you're absolutely right. I know that I'm not going to have uh, any kind of substantial growth. If I post a link to my Substack or my podcast, um, and I still do it because occasionally people will see it. And there are ways to cheat it too. If you have a close-knit group, I guess this is a free tip for anybody who's interested in growing Twitter and wants to have like a link work for you. If you have a group of about 15 to 20 people who are willing to jump in and retweet something for you, you actually can set up an alarm for them and be like, hey, I'm posting this tweet at 10 a.m. Can you please jump on real quick and retweet it, comment? If they retweet, like, and comment something in the first couple of minutes, it'll jump over the algorithmic suppression and it'll give that tweet a little bit more life. But you have to be super careful when you do that because people don't want to be like, hey, I'm not your puppet. I'm not here to like further your agenda. So I'm always super careful with that. Do you Have you tried stuff like that before? I haven't, no. Um, but I've done various different tactics like you know, asking your following to retweet your pinned tweet. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. um, and then, because they all retweet yours and then you retweet theirs and it's kind of, you share the kind of engagement yeah. it goes. That, that's a good one. If you really need to get something out quite quickly, that's a good one. A, a revelation for me, and it's a real simple one really, is replying to people who reply to you. Oh, so if, if somebody replies to you, you know, I mean, one of the questions you'll ask on Twitter, I mean, you ask some awesome questions, by the way. Thank you. Um, and, you know, if someone does answer it and it's a good answer, and if you just simply thank them for answering it, that's huge. Yeah. Like, it's about a visibility. It's just because they see it, then your followers see it and their followers see it. And it's also, it's a class as a good interaction because you might say thank you or whatever, you appreciate their comment. And people like good things on, online and it kind of just snowballs and like, oh, this guy replies as well. We're going to yeah. answer that we're going to jump in on there and be part of the conversation because it is all, like you said, conversation. It's, yes. And Twitter pride themselves on calling the, everyone on it conversation lists. So it's, yeah, like a, like a bar, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is, I 100% believe. And so I've had some different people on my podcast. I just interviewed somebody uh, earlier this week. Can't remember exactly when, but um, was, was, saying like, you don't have a brand because you only ask questions on Twitter. Nobody really knows like what your authority is or anything like that. And I'm like, brand schman, I, I don't know what I have. And I also, Thomas Beleza said kind of a similar thing. You, you're not building a brand here. And I'm like, I don't know what I have, but what I have is 2.3 million impressions over the last 28 days. That means 2.8, 2.3 million times people have seen something I've had to say. That's an absurd statistic. That's just crazy. And that's just by posting questions and then answering and talking to people. 
and you create yeah. that conversation and it goes like wildfire. So I'm, I'm a big believer in questions and I'm a big believer in having a conversation on Twitter. And I hate how I used to think about it. So I have an alt profile. Um, do you have an alt profile, by the way? Do you have any like sneaky little Twitter profile? Okay. This is literally my first go at it. This is my first attempt. I'm still That's on awesome. my first attempt. Um, yeah, I kind of, I've missed a bunch of things. Like a lot of authors have pen names as well and stuff. And oh, yeah. Don't, I've just, I understand some people, you know, maybe their job or something might be brought mm. into disrepute if they've got a certain book out there or something. But I've, yeah, I've, it's just, yeah, what, I've only had one go at this. It's yeah. my real name. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, the amount of impressions you just mentioned, that's an incredible number. That's <laughs> 2.6 2. million. That's, yeah, that's huge. I mean, yeah. I've only, I've reached 1.3 is my record. Um, one point up to 1.6. That's recently just gone. That was September into October. And funnily enough, that came from a question that I yeah. asked. Most of them were driven. I, I got 600,000 impressions from a question. Yes. Um, and I asked, the question was, is there a book that you have read more than once? And that's oh, nice. a very common question. I mean, yeah. also that, that kind of drills down into my, my following, which is all writers. And mm-hmm. then their following is probably readers and writers. So it kind of shoots through so many demographics at once. Yes. And if everybody answers it in your following, then their following is going to see it. They it's tell crazy. their friends, tell theirs, so on and so forth. And it's, it just snowballs and it's crazy. Yeah, that was like, that was amazing. That was quite a moment yeah. for me. Yeah, that's, yeah, good numbers. Really good well, numbers. I, re- I remember the first time I realized the power of, of a question and it, you don't always know which one it's going to be. Um, but the first one when I was like, oh my gosh, was uh, do you consider audiobooks reading? I had no clue how strongly people felt about this topic. I still, um, it's interesting. I, my opinion changed based on the answers to that question, um, which I won't reveal here, but my opinion literally changed uh, a total about face where I started with that question. I try not to state my personal opinions. I try to reflect to people like, you know, the, the validity of their response and just be like, that's awesome. I really love that. Or can you please elaborate? Or yes, I know it depends because a ton of people on Twitter say it depends. I'm like, of course it depends. That's why I asked you the question. So like, give it your own spin. But anyway, that, that question, same thing. I think that there was, you know, 500, 600,000 impressions on it. It just went wild. And you see like it just scorched through all of Twitter and you realize I can't answer all of these responses. If I had a whole week just sitting on this question, I could not get to every answer. It's very gratifying. I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's, you make a good point as well about not really putting your own opinion in. I, I don't particularly put much opinionated stuff out there mm-hmm. i think you probably can and it's, it's it's all based upon tone really and how you convey that opinion but a lot of the time i tend to just yeah i'm i've got quite a comfortable seat on the fence of a lot of things but that's yeah. because i kind of want to avoid you know something that might be mildly divisive because something mildly divisive on twitter get, gets like kind yeah. of projected it just gets bigger and bigger and worse and worse and becomes toxic and yeah, then you're dealing yeah. with basically bad vibes. And I tend to st- try to stay out of all of that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting environment, Twitter. It could also be quite volatile as well, okay. um, which is why sometimes when I'm supporting authors and even just the simple act of well-wishing someone, just saying have a good day goes across so well is because people are always defaulted to thinking that 
social media is volatile, but it isn't. It's full of so many wonderful people like, yes. like us. We're just, you know, we're, we're regular people trying to make it, trying mm -hmm. to get our word out, trying to get a brand out there, trying to basically discover and learn from things. And there is some good things you can find on, on Twitter. There's some good people as well. I, I love it. I, uh, many of my close friends at this point are people that I met on Twitter. Um, I had a, an hour and a half long conversation with three other people on Twitter that were planning to do a book tour in the summer of 2024 together, um, planning on calling it the, the Birds of Blue book tour um, because we're all Twitter people that are writers and met through the, the blue bird of Twitter. And so, you know, there's, there's this like real sense of community. When I hear people say, Oh, it's all just politics and outrage and people trying to make each other mad. All I can think is that that person chooses that for themselves. You come onto Twitter and you literally create the world you live in. If you choose to be positive here, if you choose to seek out good things, Good things find you and the algorithm just feeds you more good things. You want puppies? Search for puppies, answer questions about puppies, talk about puppies, post pictures of puppies, and you will be the puppy man on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. That's um, exactly kind of how I see it as well. So, whole, oh, go ahead. Sorry, you paused and I thought you were done talking. So the whole supporting others and just generally trying to be positive is it's, but it's not forced positivity to me. It's just, no. you know, this, try and make this my corner of this place a nice place to be. And it, it attracts people. It attracts people in huge numbers. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you, and, and I'm sorry I interrupted you just there. I feel, I feel badly. It was just a little bit of a delay. And so I thought you were, you were done. But anyways, I want to ask you too, are you full-time writer or are you working toward full-time writing? What's kind of, where are you in that process and how, where do you see yourself going? So this is a hobby for me, basically. This is just yeah. an intro. Um, I have a very, a good, very good day job um, or a day and night job. It's so I, I work in a control room for a particle accelerator. I work wow. inside as, as an engineer based person. So I'm kind of used to like problem solving, I suppose. Wow. That's probably why I've learned my hand at Twitter, basically, because I'm just used to fixing things, basically. And what's the problem? Let's try and fix it. But to answer your question, um, the plan is to go all the way to traditional publishing and for this to become my, basically, my sole income. Okay. Um, that's always been my dream. That's always been the plan. Um, I've kind of, I got a little bit sidetracked by, I wouldn't say sidetracked, but in releasing my eight indie published books, that was, that kind of snowballed really. I was only supposed to release a few of them just to kind of build a presence, build a brand, kind of become known. And it's been quite addictive. Um, and there's a bit of a trend there. I'm addicted to Twitter. I'm addicted to publishing books. Um, I, it's basically things I enjoy. I'm addicted to. And yeah, yeah. So I've got this kind of back catalog of books now that sell rather well. I've learned a hell of a lot how to sell books, how to, you know, conduct myself on social media, build a following. I've got an audience. And so next year I plan on querying um, a book that I've, so the first book I ever wrote when I was about 12 years old, wow. that's a sci it's a sci-fi book. That's kind of always been the dream. And over the last few years, I've kind of rebooted that dream and rebooted that book. And it's kind of in the vision of how I've always wanted it. And now I've got this following. I've got 
readers i'm going to try and find some representation next year or a publisher and get this thing out there finally and try and achieve the dream yeah um, that's kind of where i'm at now yeah it's quite an exciting prospect i've got lots of other things going on at the same time you know patreon creating is kind of that's worked out quite well for me now people are signing yeah. up to that with numbers which is uh, surprising but yeah. then you put the hours you kind of you get it back but mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. I'm currently at final edit, basically, of the, this, this sci-fi book. Then I'm going to start nice. querying next year. Awesome. Let me let me suggest. I have uh, some guests coming up on my show named Robin and Michael J. Sullivan. They are kind of the the, the first ones to do Kickstarter in a really meaningful way to launch books. Uh, they they came before Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson gave them credit for being the ones who gave him the idea and helped him. And I'm I'm taking for granted, assuming that you actually know what Brandon Sanderson did with Kickstarter. Is that are you familiar with that story? I'm not. No, okay. I'm not. So Brandon Sanderson, uh, and for anybody listening who's not too, I should probably just preface anyways. He first. Uh, is really well-known. I mean, he had a writing career before this, so he's probably upset if I say he gained notoriety through this, but he gained like massive notoriety for finishing off the Wheel of Time series. So it's a um, a fantasy series of books written by Robert Jordan. Um, he died before he finished writing it. So Brandon Sanderson was tasked with coming on and finishing that series. And people believed like he did perfectly. They couldn't tell tonally the difference. He was faithful to the characters. It was as if he really had like a perfect access to Robert Jordan's brain. So he was famous by himself publishing traditionally already, um, but he looked at the amount of money he was making publishing traditionally, even with that amount of fame. And he was like, something feels a little bit sideways about that. So he's going on trying to think about ways that he can keep a little bit more of the money for himself because it's him who's bringing all of this to the forefront. And he catches uh, Michael and Robin Sullivan and sees what they're doing with Kickstarter and how much money they're keeping of their books by fulfilling them themselves and doing a lot of the work themselves. So he launched a Kickstarter for four books and made $48 million. Wow. That's $48 incredible. million. <laughs> it's like an unreal amount of money. It's a, and, and, and here's the thing too. You'll get the chance to listen to Robin and, and Michael later on my podcast if you come back in. But um, the thing is, it's like pre-orders. They're selling those books and, and Brandon was selling those books. So it's not like you're raising money for nothing. You actually are buying the book pre-order and then you get the book and you get the book the way you want it. So it's a really cool method. And I think the reason that I'm bringing that to your attention is with your following, I really think Kickstarter could be something that would be massively impactful for you to look into. Um, even with the books that you have right now, maybe you've got one more book because you have to do something to make it new. You can't resell or relaunch something on Kickstarter. It has to be a new project, but you have a pretty good size following. And that, that I think done right could really give you something to show the traditional publishing industry. If you were even interested in going that direction after you saw what Kickstarter could do for you. But I think you could take a successful Kickstarter to a publisher and be like, Hey, I sold 8,000 copies of my book pre-sold and, you know, I'd love for you to pick up the rights to it and do international distribution or something. It could be pretty cool. That's a pretty awesome idea, actually. Um, Yeah. Yeah, thank you. No, that's um, yeah, that means a lot that you suggest it for for me anyway. Especially my following. I, I never really thought about that actually. I kind of 
thought about, you know, I could mention in my query letter, I've got, you know, so many followers that yes. will probably immediately, that will probably immediately turn heads. Yes. That, it will. I mean, is, is that enough? We, we don't really know. Do you, I think it's based on the individual as mm -hmm. well, but Kickstarter yeah. is definitely a good idea to pursue. Um, yeah, it's. I'm seeing it more now where people are leveraging a successful self-published book to then actually get a, a publisher to pick up the rights for the book that's already sold. Because publishers are in like self-defense mode right now. And in some ways, that's a really bad thing because it, it signals poorly for publishing in the traditional sense. But in another way, it gives us as self-published authors a huge amount of leverage because now I know how to tickle their toes. Like I know how to whisper in their ear. If I bring them the, the pre-cooked ham and, you know, it's already been, the, the pig's already been slaughtered, the, the food's already been cooked. All you got to do is serve it up on a plate. It's ready to go. Uh, I think, I think it really makes the whole process pretty easy for you. Yeah, that's, that's basically giving them an easy win. I yeah. suppose you've kind of done yeah. the work for them. And yes, yeah, it's another option I've kind of thought about. It's kind of a pipe dream is whether or not someone approaches me as well. It's, yeah. you, it must be, you know, you must get to a certain point where people notice what you're doing and it's like, hey, we like what you do. Can you, you can come and make some money for us sort of thing. That's mm -hmm. another option to probably think about as well. But then, then again, you're kind of waiting on a dream there. I've never really believed in that. It's always, you have to go out and work for it, don't you? And find it and, and grab it yourself. And always what I believed in. Uh, coaching client I'm working with. She and I were talking about, you know, you never get the chance to walk in the front door before you're famous. You, you only get the front door offered to you once you're famous. Otherwise, you're like uh, 17th floor. There's a cracked window up there. If I can scale this building, I can get in. Yeah. So, you know, that's what we're facing, it feels like. Uh, I've taken an hour of your time. Obviously, people know they can find you on Twitter. What is your handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is LHallWriter. Perfect. And do you want people to find you anywhere else, or do you prefer that they meet you for the first time on Twitter? Um, yeah, I mean, I could mention my, my website, my blog. Um, that's just LeeHallWriter.com. Um, you'll find... All of my latest stuff on there, a lot of other information as well, like my books, my profile, where you can find my Patreon stuff and all that. And yeah, that's where you can find most of my content as well. Excellent. All righty. Well, it's been a pleasure meeting you, Lee. I've, I've admired your work from afar for quite a while. So really good to get to, to know you and uh, I'm excited to stay in touch. Okay. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much. Um, and good luck with your launch as well, with your um, pre-order run. With your, Thank you. Your book. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter, and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.